pray. Just ask the Spirit of God to take His Word and send His Word out just as He knows it needs to be sent right to every heart as He knows it needs to be applied. Father, I just want to recognize some key truths right now in my own spirit here. I need you. I mean, right now, right here for what is before me, to discharge the responsibility that I have. I need you. I need your spirit. I do not want to do this in my own power. I thank you that the same Spirit of the living God that inspired the writing down of the Word of God is the Spirit that is here this morning, Spirit that lives in every follower of Jesus Christ and Lord lives in me and longs far more than I long with far greater intensity to send forth that word in power. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you just take the truth and as it is spoken here corporately that you would just be sending it individually to each heart, uniquely, specifically, uh, tailored, focused, just as it needs to, to meet them right where they're at, to accomplish the work that you're performing right now to take them into the next step toward you closer to you or the first step toward you and salvation you just do what you know that needs done empty me uh, Lord of myself forgive me for my sin fill my brokenness and through it, pour your spirit out, I pray. And it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I ask that with confidence, trusting the Holy Spirit that you will testify to and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ right here, right now. His name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We are coming back now to our study of the letter to the church at Rome that we have taken a detour from for about two months here to do some other things. But we're going to come back where we left off in the eighth chapter of Romans, picking it up at the 14th verse. And let me just just very quickly 
make a few statements just to refresh your memory if you've been a part of that study or to set the stage uh, if you haven't, but just given an overview of what the eighth chapter of Romans is all about. The eighth chapter of Romans begins with a great propositional statement, a great propositional truth that Paul makes, and that truth is this, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. Meaning that the condemnation that they were under prior to being saved, prior to coming to faith in Jesus and what he has done, that that condemnation that put them under the wrath of God and that guaranteed the, their eternal punishment because of sin has ended. Not postponed, not detoured, ended. No condemnation, not now, not tomorrow, not ever. They are an entirely new creation. Never again will those who are placed into Christ Jesus ever change in that position. They will be there for all of eternity. They are as secure as if they were sitting at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms right now. And in fact, Scripture says that's the spiritual truth, that those who are saved are already seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a safe place to be. I mean, who is coming to the right hand of the Father to take you away if you're there? There is no one up to the task. I promise you that. There is no condemnation. And the reason there is no condemnation is not because God has in his love just decided, well, I love Jesse too much, so I, I just, because I love him, I can't, Pour out my wrath on him. Now, that's not love. That's not holy love. Because holy love has to do something about sin. Holy love is the way that God operates. And in his holiness, sin is an affront to him. Sin is damaging to this world. And sin must come under his just wrath. And so... God, in his love, cannot, because of that love, just turn away from sin. Something has to be done with the sin. So what happened is that Jesus Christ, the co-equal, co-eternal, second member of the Trinity, he who had reigned in majesty and glory throughout an eternity past, condescended, stood up from the throne, stepped down into the pit of humanity, took upon himself human flesh, was made in human likeness, took the nature of a servant, and upon him was placed all of the sins of the world and then all of the wrath of the Father against all of the sins of the world was poured out 
to the last drop, and in one great drink, Jesus drank damnation dry by receiving in himself the full penalty and wrath of God for sin so that he was condemned for your sin. So that if you come in faith to Jesus and Jesus alone, what happens is that that condemnation for your sin, past, present, future, is satisfied. And the Father will not, cannot ever hold you responsible for it. His Son has already paid the price. And so here's what that means for you. No condemnation. If you've placed your faith in Christ, no condemnation. Not now, not ever. And then having stated that propositional truth of no condemnation in verse 1, he spends the rest of the chapter to validate that truth that there is no condemnation, that there will never be any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And what he does through this incredible eighth chapter of Romans, it's like he is holding up the most precious diamond to our gaze, the diamond of no condemnation, the diamond of your security in Christ if you're saved. And he takes a few verses and he shows us one facet of the diamond. And then he moves to a new section and he turns it a little bit and he shows us another facet and he goes down through this chapter just exposing the multifaceted glory of the truth of our no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And that's precisely what he's doing again here in verse 14 to verse 17. So let's read those four verses. We're going to be picking up in the middle of a thought because... It's almost as if the entire letter of Romans is one long, strung-out thought, the way Paul reasons in his logical, concise, I mean, in-depth, you know, airtight presentation of truth, one flowing into the next. So we're going to be picking this up kind of in the middle of a thought here. Verse 14 Paul wrote, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see what happens here, beginning in the 14th verse, for the first time in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the great doctrine of adoption. God's adoption comes up. And in these four verses, Paul turns his spotlight on this great doctrine of adoption, and he exposes its truth. 
several times in each one of these four verses. He's giving us truths about the doctrine of adoption, God adopting us as sons, God adopting us as daughters when we are saved. And what that truth does is that it is a complementary truth to the great theme of the chapter. Because when you understand adoption, God's adoption and what it means for God to choose us and adopt us as his sons and daughters, it will validate the truth that there can never be any condemnation for you. So let's just begin to unpack. We'll probably get through verses 14 and 15 today and then next week possibly finish up 16 and 17. But notice how verse 14 begins. I'll just read the verse again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Just begin with that three-letter word for Here's what that three-letter word for means. Here's what you need to understand when you see that. What Paul is saying is that the truth that he is going to state in verse 4 is based upon or connected directly to the truth that he just stated in verse 13. So verse 14 is a further explanation or development of the truth of verse 13. The four means that you cannot separate what he says in 14 from 13 and understand it the way that you should understand it. It's got to stay in its context. So what does he say in verse 13? Let me just jump back there and read this. Now, this would have been about two months ago that we looked at this, but if you've been a part of this church for a while, here's what we did a couple of months ago. We spent six weeks in the 13th verse of Romans chapter 8. And that six weeks, we were talking about one great theme, and the great theme was this, the killing of sin within. That in the life of the follower of Christ, the person that is truly a child of God, The fact of the matter is they still have a mortal body. We still have a mortal body. We are still struggling in our flesh, though our spirit is made brand new that we are children of God, spiritually speaking, seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. We are still plodding around on this planet with the mortal flesh that is prone to sin, and we are fighting this battle with sin. And in verse 13, Paul said what we need to be doing as children of God with that sin is we need to be killing it. We need to be putting it to death. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the context. Then comes the word for of verse 14. Based upon the statement in verse 13 that you are to be putting to death the deeds of the body, For, because, therefore, those who are led 
by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what does that connection then mean? Here's what Paul is telling us. He is teaching us what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He is teaching us what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. And the context of that leading is the putting to death of sin in verse 13. Let me explain to make it more apparent, even clearer, what he is not saying. He is not saying in verse 14 that to be led by the Spirit of God, that children of God being led by the Spirit of God means that they are led by the Spirit in what wife they will choose or husband they will choose, what house they will buy, what job they will take, what city they will live in. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God doesn't want to engage your life on those levels. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's not what he's saying in verse 13 and 14. Because the context of verse 13, of verse 14 is verse 13, which says that the Christian is to be putting to death the deeds of the body, is to be killing the sin within. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Verse 14, it means that you are putting to death the deeds of the body. He is just rephrasing what he said in verse 13 in verse 14 so that these two statements are meaning the same thing. Verse 13 By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body means the same thing in verse 14 as being led by the Spirit of God. So that being led by the Spirit of God means to put to death the misdeeds of the body, to be killing the sin within. That is evidence That is a picture, that is a mark of a child of God. You see, not only does he connect putting to death the deeds of the body with being led by the Spirit, but what does he say immediately after being led by the Spirit? He says that those led by the Spirit are children of God, so Here's what you can do then. It's like a mathematical equation here. Here's what you can do. You can as equally true say those who are children of God are going to be putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Why? Because they're being led by the Spirit of God. So, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? It means that the Spirit of God is going to be working in your life. He lives there. He resides there. If you're truly saved, if you're a child of God, He lives there. And what He's doing there is He's taking you to battle against the sin within. He, I promise you He's doing that if you're a child of God. That doesn't mean that you're always fully lathered up and engaged in it like you should be. 
But what it does mean is that you are not going to just be satisfied as a true follower of Christ just to have the Spirit of God reveal sin in your life that you've got and just kind of treat it without any second thought and say, oh, it's not a problem. Grace of God, you know, I'm not condemned anymore. The grace of God's already forgiven me for that. So I'm, I can just go on and keep participating in that and know that it's covered. No, Spirit of God's not going to be leading you that way. He's going to be leading you. Paul directly has said this. He's going to be leading you, verse 14, to put to death the deeds of the body, verse 13. That's what it means to be a child of God. One of the things that it means. So that's the answer to the first question that I wanted to ask and address. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Here's the second question I want to ask and answer. How does the Spirit lead? That's a, that's a pretty critical question. If you're a follower of Christ, that is a critical question. You see, you are not going to make any progress in the Christian life, in the growth in character toward Christ-likeness, unless the Spirit of God is helping that happen. It's not, you will not make one step on your own. It'll be the power of the Spirit of God enabling you to do that. So if it is that critical for you to be led by the Spirit so that you can advance in the Christian life, then it would be a good thing to understand what it, how, how it is that the Spirit leads us so that you can capitalize on that to make greater and greater progress into the likeness of Christ. Verse 15 answers that question. How does the Spirit lead? Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is poured out into our hearts to make our adoption real. Do you understand that statement right there? I mean experientially real. Not just mentally cognizant of a truth, not just giving mental acquiescence to a set of doctrines that say this, therefore I can deduce that this is true and know it. I'm not saying that that's bad at all. That's great. But the point Paul is making here is something more than that. He's talking about experience. Listen again and see if you hear experience. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is something going on in the life of that individual, that Christian that Paul is picturing there. There is an experience that's taking place that's like 
an irrepressible welling up in that heart, a love for God that is flowing out to cry out, Oh, Daddy! Oh, Father! That's not just a, Oh, yes, I see it there. And so I understand it and I know it to be true based upon that fact. The facts are great. God created you with a mind. God is perfectly logical. And God also is the God who created you with emotions. God is the God of drama, the God of not drama in a bad way. God is the orchestrator of the dramatic events of human history and of your life. And he is saying here, Paul is trying to teach us here that the Spirit of God wants to work in our lives in such a way that that work wells up into an experience that leads us in an emotional plea to God in some fashion to cry out to Him as our Daddy. That intimate statement about a relationship that transcends just a head knowledge. It is a deep, close, heart, relational connection. And Paul is saying that the Spirit of the living God is working to do that in your life. And he tells us here, in a broad stroke principle how the Spirit accomplishes the leading of your life. Remember the first question, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What it means to be led by the Spirit is that you will be in a war, in a battle, with the sin that remains within in your mortal body. The second question, how does the Spirit lead you in that battle? And it says here in verse 15 that you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons or as daughters. Here's the principle then. Here's the great brushstroke principle of this, of the way that the Spirit leads. The Spirit leads you to put to death the deeds of the body not by motivating you with the fear of a slave to his master. He does it by motivating you, by leading you based upon the relationship of a son or a daughter to a loving father. Can you see that principle there now? Paul is telling us that the way the Spirit of God works in your life to lead and motivate you to be what God longs for you to be, wants you to be, what will ultimately bless you is that He doesn't do that as kind of a 
spiritual sovereign cop ready to pull out his six gun and shoot you when you step out of line. No, what the Spirit of God does is He brings you into a deeper understanding of the love of your Father God until that love wells up in you, until you are completely overwhelmed with the love that the Father has for you and that love becomes the motivational force in your life to begin to express your love back to God in your lifestyle so that you, because of your love for God, do not want to do anything against that love so that you aggressively and consistently go to battle against the sin within because the love of God so compels you to do that. Not the fear of a judge becoming compulsory, but the love of God melting you and wooing you and drawing you to respond in an appropriate way to give your love back to Him as He lavishes His love upon you. That's the principle for how does the Spirit lead? He leads you through the love of God by showing you, by revealing to you, by helping you grow in deeper and deeper measure in your understanding of the love of God. I just thought of this verse. I'm not going to get it exactly right. But that's why Paul, in one of his prayers, writes... And he prays for the church that they would grow in their understanding and come to know how wide and deep and high is the love of God for them. Why would Paul be praying that for the churches that he planted and the churches that he led? Why would he be praying that they would come into a deeper and deeper understanding of the love of God? Here's why. It's the key to you living the Christian life. It is what is going to bring you to the motivational Moment in your life where you, based upon the love of God, surrender regularly to the Spirit of God and are led to begin to live lives of holiness, putting to death the sin within and doing the things that God wants you to. It's the love of God that will do that. It's not the fear of a slave. It's the love of the Father. So that's how the Spirit leads Here's the next question. What is it going to look like in the believer's life to be led by the Spirit? What is it going to look like in a true child, in a true son or a true daughter of God? What is it going to look like as they are living a life led by the Spirit of God? Sometimes we can have ideas, assumptions on what that's going to look like. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit, right? But there are some things that we can assume 
are undeniable or are absolutely conclusive evidences that we are being led by the Spirit of God or that somebody else is being led by the Spirit of God that may not be evidences at all. So I want to begin just by, under this bullet point here, just by telling you three ways, three non-conclusive signs or marks that may look like they prove that you or that individual is being led by the Spirit of God, but do not necessarily prove that. First of all is this. A person is not necessarily being led by the Spirit of God if they are following the dictates of their conscience. You know, the conscience is a good thing, right? I mean, God gave us a conscience, and the Spirit of God works in the midst of our conscience to speak to us about what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. But here's the truth. There are a lot of conscientious people who are not children of God. Have you ever known any conscientious people? I mean, let's just take the one that wrote this letter, right? Prior to his Damascus Road experience, prior to Paul meeting Jesus Christ and being converted, being saved, being made a child of God, was he a conscientious man? (laughs) Oh my goodness, he was the poster child, right? He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the great, quote, follower of the law. As for legalistic righteousness, he said, I was faultless. He lived his life seeking to have a clear conscience before God in obedience to every ordinance, every statement of God's Word. But that was not undeniable evidence that he was a son of God because he wasn't a son of God. There's another non-conclusive mark people are not necessarily or we are not necessarily being led by the spirit if we have our affections changed our views or our desires changed for example someone can just come in here someone could come in here that is not a child of God has not been saved and they can hear uh, a moving presentation of the truth. They can be in the midst of a group like this and they can be here when the Spirit of God is moving powerfully and they can, even though if they don't understand it, they can sense that something great is taking place and the proclamation of the truth can grip them and they can have some different views when they leave. They can have their affections massaged and changed without them being saved. Biblical example, the stony ground. The farmer that spread the seed and some fell on 
stony ground. And what does the scripture say? It says that those that are like that are those that receive the word of God with joy, but it didn't really take root. Didn't really take root. And when the hardships came, the sun came out and it was scorched, they withered away and they died. Well, the problem is they hadn't had a heart change. It just went skin deep. So it is not conclusive evidence that a person is being led by the Spirit of God because there's been some altering of their affections. And then finally, nor is it conclusive evidence when a person makes a public profession of their faith in Christ. Now, I believe that every Christian, every child of God makes a profession of their faith in Christ with their lips or in their heart. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, that it is with our mouth that we confess and are saved in our heart that we believe and are justified. So there is to be a public profession, but that does not mean that everybody that makes a public profession, that those words come off their lips are necessarily children of God. They may bear some fruit that resembles that. They may join themselves uh, to the church, but it doesn't provide conclusive evidence. Now, why am I giving you a few of the non-conclusives. Well, the, what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm trying to get at the heart of what Paul's goal is here. Paul's goal in writing this, again, is to bring to your conviction, if you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, is to bring to your deep conviction, unmovable conviction that you are in fact a child of God and that nothing is going to change that reality, that you are secure there. And he wants you to know that. He wants to identify, help you understand how the Spirit of God is going to validate that truth in your life because God wants you to be sure. Listen, I'm not faulting anybody for this at all. I fault myself completely. But I grew up, I grew up until, you know, I, don't, I don't, probably 10 years ago, nine years ago, in the church my whole life, just never fully convinced was I Saved today. I mean, did what I do yesterday nullify my salvation and standing as a child of God? Boy, I hope so. I pray so. But I really don't know. God wants us to know. God wants us to know. I have seen this in the last decade... (laughs) all over in Scripture. God wants you to know. Think about the truth I was making a minute ago. 
Why would he want you to know? Because it is the recognition of his love, of who you are in him that motivates you to live a life of holiness for his glory. And if you're unsure, if you're doubting his love, if you're doubting your safety in his arms, how's that going to be motivational to you to be living your life for God sold out? If, man, I don't know if that mistake I made yesterday took me out of my standing with God. So, Paul is working toward building that conviction all throughout Romans chapter 8 from his opening statement of no condemnation to the very last thing that he says. And you know what the last thing that he says is? No separation in Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8 starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Where is the room in there for you falling through the cracks? There is none. So that's the goal that Paul's working toward. I believe the goal that God wants for us because that deep conviction and understanding of the greatness of the love and grace of God will be so motivational when you understand who you truly are in Christ. So let's look at, just as in the last few minutes here, just three or four minutes, marks that conclusively identify those who are truly sons and daughters of God. I just want to give you three. Number one, we can and will have confidence that we are being led by the Spirit of God. You could also say that sentence this way, that we are sons and daughters of God. It means the same thing, remember? Romans chapter 8, 14. Being led by the Spirit of God means to be a child of God. So you can be confident that you are being led by the Spirit of God if you are regularly coming to God, recognizing and understanding your own desperate need of Him, your own sin and how you have things in your life that you need to bring before Him and lay before Him and have His help in tackling and fighting against. You can have the confidence that you're being led by the Spirit of God if that's a regular process in your life where you are, in a sense, faced with the reality of how far you are from His holiness and how much you need the Spirit of God to help move you closer and closer to His holiness. Listen, I promise you, if you're not a child of God, that's not going to be happening in your life. 
If you're not a son or daughter of God, everything in your human nature fights against that reality, that regular humbling of yourself before God. So that one of the sure signs that you are being led by the Spirit of God is this regular understanding, humble recognition of your ongoing need for His Spirit to continue to work in you the process of sanctification or holiness. Here's the second mark. And by the way, Jesus said, No one can come to the Father. No one, I mean, no one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draws him. Think about the meaning of that. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draws him. Listen, the person that is coming regularly to Christ, recognizing their need on a daily basis of the power of His Spirit to move them forward, that person cannot do that except the Father draw them to do that. They can't come the first time for salvation, nor will they continue to come unless the Spirit of God is drawing them, leading them. Therefore, if that's happening in your life, you're being led by the Spirit of God. Evidence, strong evidence. Secondly, what's another conclusive mark of the Spirit's leading, it is this, that those who are being led by the Spirit of God are those who are leaning into or toward the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God who brings the reality of who Jesus is to your understanding, to your life, brings the conviction of your sin and presents Jesus as your only Savior, doesn't just do that to bring you to the point of placing your faith in Him so that you're saved, and then He walks away and says, I got that one done, now I got to go find another. No, He stays there in your life so that He works toward making Jesus your Lord, not just your Savior. To where all of the details of your life are to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Meaning, He is my Lord. I need to do the things that He wants me to do. He deserves that kind of a life. And you see, a person being led by the Spirit of God is leaning toward that. You may be way further down the road than I am, but if both of us are Being led, we both are leaning the same way. Does that make sense? There's a direction. And that doesn't even mean that at times you don't fall to the left or to the right, but it means that the direction of the life is a leaning toward the lordship of Jesus. That That is a conclusive mark of someone that is being led by the Spirit of God. You see, Paul wrote these words, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that no one can utter the words, 
those three words, Jesus is Lord, what it means is that no one can say that with an agreeable heart, with an understanding and longing for Jesus to be the Lord of their life unless the Spirit of God is leading in that way. And why is that? Because in yourself, in your human nature, in your lost condition prior to Christ, you are not satisfied with anybody being on the throne but you. That's true of every individual prior to salvation. Every human heart unregenerated, unsaved, is only satisfied when I is on the throne. So if your life has the mark of leaning into the Lordship of Jesus Christ, longing for that to be truer and truer day by day, it's a mark, it's a sign that you are being led by the Spirit, that you are in fact a child of God. And then number three, an indisputable mark that you're being led by the Spirit of God brings us full circle to where we begin. If you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to battle on a regular basis against the sin in your life. Verse 13. You see, Putting to death the deeds of the body means being led by the Spirit, which is being a child of God. So that because of, verse 15, your relationship to a perfect, loving, heavenly Father, that that love and that grace of God so motivates you, so wells up within you, that experiential knowledge and understanding of God as your loving Heavenly Father is so compelling to you that what it causes you to do is pour out your love back to Him in expressions that are actively involved in saying no to sin and yes to His will. So those are just some beginning treatments on this doctrine of adoption and how adoption is to be led by the Spirit of God. Would you stand? Let me just pray a prayer over you, challenge you. I'm going to ask you just to be praying this week as we Next week as well as we go through this doctrine of adoption, you'll be asking the Spirit of God to be revealing to you, bringing the deep conviction into your life if you are a child of God, that that is truly what you are and that you're secure in. And that if you're not, that He would show you that so that you can get right with God through His Son. Let's pray. Father.